Malachi 4. Uh, We're going to read 1 through 3. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping with, like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So we begin today to look at the last six verses of the very end of the Old Testament inspired scripture. After these verses, there will be 400, about 480 years of silence until John the Baptist begins to come on the scene and to begin to do his work. And then eventually Jesus' ministry will begin as well. So as we finish these next two weeks, the truths are going to be pretty straightforward and uncomplicated, as Keith Grissom likes to say. Keith, straightforward. Very straightforward. Malachi continues to write in these words as we come to chapter 4 about the contrast of what he started last week. This is what the wicked are like, and this is what the righteous are like, and he's going to continue as he finishes of setting forth what this looks like. And particularly today, we will see this reality. So again, this is just kind of a continuing of what we have, what we have been on over the last couple of weeks in Malachi. This continued context of godly, what they are like, and the wicked. As Malachi closes, he's going to use this phrase, day of the Lord, four times. This day is going to bring out that he's speaking about here two results to distinguish only two groups. And there are only two groups that are on the planet today. And it is those who know the Lord and those who do not. And they're going to have two different destinations. One will spend eternity with God in heaven. The other will be separated from God in a place called hell. Now, most preaching today doesn't like to delve into what we're going to deal with today because the text is demanding us to look at it. God's judgment is not real popular today. It used to be more comfortable to be able to talk about this 20 to 25 years ago, but it's become less and less popular in our day and time as it makes people uncomfortable. And most would rather just talk extensively about feeling good. Can we talk about positive things? And I like positive things. I hope you do as well. The scripture's full of them. But we shortchange our discipleship if we never deal with the hard text as well. So at times we've got to come to those texts. We've got to consider what they say and to embrace them. And so I don't want to do that for us at all today. We need to consider the hard and heavy parts, as well as the soothing and satisfying sections that come in the Scripture. Now, many in our day around Christianity, and even the church, have decided that there is a new path forward that is needed, and that new path forward 
is continuing to be talked about quite a bit. And I, again, as I've told you, I do a lot of study and a lot of listening to what is happening and taking place within the church culture today. And you just don't hear hardly any teaching and talking anymore about God's judgment. And this new path forward that people want to talk about is a softening of some of the texts like this one that we're going to look at today. And they say this, this is a little bit out of touch to talk about God's judgment in the way that our culture is today. Our culture is dominant on self-interest and feelings. And so a lot of people want to deal with this. A lot of pastors don't want to deal with this because of the way it makes people feel. So here's what people want today. And we're going to have these up on the screen here. People have this dominant thing of just saying, Today, even in the church, just try to be good. Be good. And I'll say this, being good is good. We should be, as God's people, good. But not from the way that the culture is here is talking about this. What a lot of people in and around the church kind of talk like, and you will hear this. They want God to be tolerant and lenient on most people except those people that are really, really bad. So God, deal with the bad people, but everybody else is kind of nice and friendly and good and kind for the most part. Lord, cut them a break because they're good. They're kind. They're aiming to be good and kind. And basically what's being said today, and you hear it a lot when you have a discerning ear What's being talked about, and this is what they say. They want God to grade on a goodness curve. Not according to what the scripture has to say. The problem with that is, God's goodness curve is completely different than humanity's goodness curve. Because we want to soften that. We want to get by with certain things. And so you see this today. We've got it on the screen. People want God to be tolerant and lenient on most people. But with the really bad people, okay, God, do, do what you do about judgment. But for those of us who are trying to be good and nice, though we're rejecting Jesus' word, his purposes and plans, God, will you grade our lives on a goodness curve that we want to establish, not, God, your goodness curve. And so this is where we are today. And the reality, I just want to remind us, is that... You hold these views right here, you will never fear God. There will never be any concern about a judgment that we have to give an account for our lives. Because we'll just think, I have done enough on the goodness curve because God's so nice and God is so good and loving. And I'm trying to be nice and good and loving. And so God will kind of grade me to kind of put me into a good slot. And I want to just lovingly today, right now in this moment, say this, not true. There is one standard, and the standard is the righteousness of Jesus. And so you, we, we cannot earn the righteousness of Jesus, and so we better get the righteousness of Jesus by faith in his work and who he is and what he has done on our behalf. 
God is not going to grade you. If there's anybody in the room this morning, you're thinking, I'm going to get in because I think I'm good enough. You are not good enough. But Jesus is. And that's why he came. And he's provided the way for us to come into a relationship with him to know him. So as we approach this subject today, we're going to do so from a twofold perspective. First perspective of this, for the wicked, when Jesus returns and the coming of Christ happens, it is going to be, and just honestly, because this, we're going to see it in the text, it is going to be a day of burning and a day of destruction. That's what the Bible says. And for those of us that know him and are godly and, and we're trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone, not anything that we do, the coming of Christ is going to be a day of delight and it's going to be a day of healing. And so we will see those things today. And for both of these two groups, one for the wicked, where the coming of Christ is going to be a day of burning and destruction. And for the godly, the coming of Christ is going to be a delight and a healing. It will be openly and clear and distinguished when Jesus comes the second time. And I know I say this a lot, but I want to remind you, he is coming again. Amen? He's going to come again. So we're going to, I framed everything this morning around this idea of the day of the Lord. Since as Malachi 4 closes this idea of the day of the Lord, the coming, the second coming of Jesus is going to come. And when judgment comes at that time, I've kind of framed things around that. So we're going to get two heavy points first. And then we're going to look at the encouragement for us as believers in regard to the second coming. And so the first thing I want us to see today is the first part of verse 1. And it's the phrase, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. First point this morning is just simply this. The day that Christ comes and judgment comes is going to be a day of burning heat. It's not going to be like Noah's day where the earth is going to be flooded. His coming is going to be a day of burning heat like an oven. So Malachi begins this end of this important Old Testament letter with the phrase, Behold. Behold, this phrase in the Old Testament and the New Testament is like a road sign if you're driving somewhere. It is warning you and telling you this is what is coming up ahead. You need to be on, on alert for this. We have all kinds of construction going on. One day I'm going to get down at that turnabout down there and just watch people not know what to do um, down there because we don't know about these circle drivey things like you have in Europe so those of us who have lived in Europe we know how to do those but I've just seen people down the street like not know what to do they pull up there and have no idea what to do but these road signs tell us what to be aware of so as Malachi shares here he's saying this behold road sign I'm telling you this the day of the Lord when Christ returns is going to be, for the unbeliever, a day of deep, deep destruction. It's going to be a, a day of terror because they have rejected Jesus and the day is coming and it is burning like an oven. This phrase, behold, is used 1,100 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Constantly, God saying with road signs. Be aware of this. Watch for this. It's not all bad warnings when behold is there. Some of the beholds are, 
behold, see the goodness of God and what God does. And so, but, but it's there. Pointing out a special focus, special attention needs to be given to what's being said. So in this context, Malachi is saying this, everybody needs to be ready to meet your creator. Everybody needs to be ready. Those that know him need to be ready. Those that don't know him, they, they need to know this. They are going to meet him. And they can reject him is, 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 and continue to reject him, but they are going to meet him. Because ultimately, in the very end of things, everybody saved and unsaved is going to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody's, and the, and the deal is, you want to say that willingly, not God making you do that. And so everybody's going to, to say this and make that great confession. And so Malachi is saying, I want you to know this. Those of you who have rejected God and his God's way and his word and the law in Jesus, you need to know this. The day is coming and it will be burning like an oven. What's interesting as we begin Malachi 4 verse 1 is this. I don't know if you find it interesting. Pretend that you do find it interesting, okay? Malachi is dealing with the second coming of Jesus, and Jesus has not even come. He's not coming for about 400-something years. As a matter of fact, you look at, there are five Old Testament prophets who speak about the second coming of Jesus and what that's going to be like before Jesus is even near coming to the earth. And Obadiah and Joel, they speak about the second coming in Jesus of Jesus in the ninth century B.C. Isaiah in 13.6 in the 8th century speaks about the second coming of Jesus. Zephaniah speaks about the second coming of Jesus in the 7th century. Ezekiel speaks about the second coming of Jesus in the 6th. And Malachi speaks about it in the 4th century or 3rd century. All of them wrote about the second coming of Jesus before Jesus had ever set foot on the planet. Why? Why is that the case? Well, this has always been the plan of God, and you and I need to know this, that the first coming of Jesus always included the idea that he would also come again to bring the final culmination about things. And so you can't really separate these things. Because he came once, he's coming again because this is the perfect plan and work of God in our lives. And so we can't really separate those. And so this day of judgment that's coming, that's going to bring burning heat, two ideas with this, and then we're going to move on to point two. The first one is this. Malachi writes, the day is coming. In other words, it is definitively coming. He is coming again, no matter what anybody thinks. He's coming again. So it's definitive. He is going to come, and that's the purpose that's there. So both comings, the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, were going to happen, and there would be no doubt about it, and he has come once, and he's going to come again the second time. Now let me point this out, because already in the first century, um, there was lots of talk about the second coming of Jesus, and people began to mock Christians Matter of fact, Peter writes about it, where people were like, okay, where, where's this second coming? Y'all keep talking about he's coming again. Where is it? And y'all talk about it and talk about it. It's not there. So now we're 2,000 years later, 
after they were mocking Christians talking about the second coming of Jesus in the first century, and he's not returned for the second time. And I want to point this out, just because he is delaying his second return does not mean that it is not going to happen. Jesus himself says it's going to happen, and when it happens, it will come like a thief in the night. So his judgment is not always immediate in certain settings and places and generations, but his judgment is certain that he will come and he will bring the judgment. So first initial thing to see on the day that's going to bring burning heat is that it is a day that's definitively coming. Secondly, it's the day's definitive characteristic is that it will be heat. It will be hot. It will be a fiery judgment that will come from the Lord himself. So when he comes, two things are going to happen. Here's what he's going to do to his people that are on the earth when he comes. There will be a fire that comes, but it's going to be a refining fire, purifying his people. But for those who do not know the Lord, when he comes in the second time, the fire is not going to be refining. The fire is going to be kind of a consuming, not annihilation kind of consuming. But one will be a cleansing of God's people when Christ returns in judgment. And another one will be a consuming nature to it. So let me ask this question before we move on to the second point this morning. If he were to come today, which of those two groups would you say you are in? Will he come and bring fiery judgment because you are lost and you have rejected him and you will be separated from him for all of eternity? Or will there be a purifying work because your trust has been in his saving work alone and he will bring a purification and then we will begin to reign with him in the millennial kingdom? Now, I'm going to ask you to turn to some verses today. Is that okay? Everybody okay with your Bible? Y'all okay with your Bible? I want you to go three books to your left to the book of Zephaniah from Malachi. And I want to show you something that Zephaniah said about this. If you get to Habakkuk, you've gone too far. It's right next to that. So look with me in Zephaniah chapter 1. Starting in verse 14. Zephaniah is writing about the second coming of Christ here. So this is what he writes. Zephaniah 1.14. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. And I will bring, 17, God says, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed, for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants 
of the earth. Now look up here. That is not a description of the first coming of Jesus, is it? First coming of Jesus, the angel showed up to the shepherds and says, I got news for you. In Bethlehem, the greatest news, great news of joy is in Bethlehem. So this is not a description in Zephaniah of the first coming where Mary pondered in her heart that the shepherds came and that angels had talked to her. Shepherds went everywhere telling what they were told. And the, and the people that heard what the shepherds had to say, they thought about quite a bit, the scripture says, about what the shepherds had to say. Wise men travel from the east bringing gifts. So this is, this is not a reference to the first coming of Jesus because it was characterized by joy. God had come to the earth and he had drawn near to people and he had come to save us from our sins. So I know it's a heavy thought and I know it's not popular today, but it is absolutely biblical that when Christ comes, he is going to judge his enemies and it will be a day of fire. And I tell you that thought sometimes for me is overwhelming because I know people that don't know the Lord. And for 2,000 years, Christ's second coming has been delayed. But there's going to come a time when the Father says, go get my people and go, and Christ will come. And Christ will return here. And so the lost need to know that God's patience eventually will run out. It will stop. And Christ will return and he will bring judgment. But for those of us who are in Christ, if it happens in our lifetime, it will be a day of celebration. Because we will see that everything that we have trusted in and believed in and we knew to be true is true. And we will literally see it with our own eyes. Here's the second thing. Next part of verse 1. When all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Now, Ann Donahoe is down here. She and I joke a lot. When the Bible says all, what does all mean? It means all. Okay? So when the Bible says all, it means all. And so So as Malachi writes this, and God is communicating through Malachi, when all of the arrogant who have mocked God and have trampled on the blood of Jesus and have persecuted Christians and have killed Christians, when all of the arrogant and all the evildoers, it's used twice there, all of those who are arrogant before God, before His people, before the church, before Scripture, and all the evildoers, this day that's coming... No one will escape it who is outside of Jesus. Everybody who has rejected him and have lived their own way, every single one of them, and that's what the word means there. This word all is a group, is a Hebrew word called kol, K-O-L. And it's used 5,000 times in the Old Testament. And in every time, in all 5,000 of them in the Old Testament, All means what? All. So this is, again, this is quite heavy. If you've got a parent or a spouse 
or, or kids, cousins, coworkers, neighbors that we love. And they just reject and they mock God. What awaits them is what we're talking about here. And it's overwhelming to think about. That there's going to come a day when God's patience is done. And his long suffering is done. And he will return. And for everyone who has rejected him, all, 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 all means all, they will be facing this judgment. So listen to these words. Um, I mentioned it a while ago. You're welcome to turn there. I'm going to read out of 2 Peter 3 for a moment. So on this day in the future, no one will be able to say to the Lord that he didn't give humanity enough time. He didn't give people groups enough time. He didn't give nations enough time to hear of the gospel. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Peter writes, Now this is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind of reminder. What, what do they need to remember? That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now go down to verse 8. So Peter writes, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And the Lord is not slow. Listen to that. He is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. But He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. Here's this word again. But that all... All means all, that all should reach repentance. But all will not, for people will reject him. Verse 10, here's this phrase, the day. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So Malachi, through God's impression to him, is communicating to his generation. It has been written down for our generation, for our lives, to know this, that the arrogant and the evildoers are not victorious. They will not be victorious. Now in this life... They may be ahead as far as the world goes. And they may have more money, can travel more, can own more, more famous, better resources. And it looks like they are ahead, but they are not ahead. The arrogant, self-important, proud, defiant, and rebellious against God, who live this way willingly against who He is and His glory they will not ultimately just get away with it. There will be a judgment that will come upon them. 
So strong is it that he says this, they will all, the arrogant and all the evildoers, they will be stubble. This word evildoers here in the Hebrew means those in their thoughts and in their deeds who are bent on doing wrong when they know what is right. And so this reality of people in the world today who mock God, who hear gospel proclamation, maybe they grew up in church and they know the stories and yet they reject and they mock God and they live arrogantly and defiantly before him, willfully knowing what's right and rejecting it and doing their own thing, they will eventually be made stubble. Now, if you want to know what stubble looks like, you can still see it. I don't know what the city of McKinney is going to do in the next 10 years. Our, our phrase is still called unique by nature, but we're losing all of our nature uh, in McKinney now. But you can still drive through some of these places, and you can see a field where the, the corn has been cut, and you just got stalks that's there, and that's what he's talking about. It's going to, that's the stubble. And God's going to come when Christ comes against the arrogant and the evildoers because they're stubble and they're there and it's not really good for anything anymore. It will be burned up again, not annihilation, but punishment and judgment upon those. And because of their sinful condition and because they are dry and because they do not know the Lord, when he brings his fiery wrath upon this earth that has mocked him from the beginning of time. They will not stand a chance before his glory. And again, that is heavy today because I have people popping up into my mind that that's going to be their destination. And so we, as his people, can't just go, give me the feel-good thing. Sometimes we have to consider this, right? that this is the reality of what's coming. We can bury our head in the sand, but this is still coming. So let's get our head out of the sand, and let's be aware that this world is lost, people that we know are lost, and they need the gospel. And we have been asked by God and charged by God to be the voices that speak the truth and live the truth before people. So it says there, they will, all the arrogant and all the evildoers, all of them will eventually be stubble. They will all face the same reality in the end. So the day that is coming, the text says here in in the last part of verse 1, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. So when Christ returns, it's going to be clear those who are his, and it will be clear those who are not his. For the stubble will be burned up, and then those who know him will be purified and will begin to reign with him in the millennial kingdom. Again, I want to remind you that this idea that there's just two people on the earth, those that will be with God forever and for all of eternity, and those who will not be with him, is not an Old Testament idea. It's, it's a Jesus idea. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 25, 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Only two destinations, not three, not four, 
not five, not all kinds of things that people are making up today. No, just two places, eternal life in Christ or eternal punishment. I want you to go to Luke 17 for a moment, please. Luke 17, verse 20. Are y'all there? Say amen if you're there. Okay. All right, before we get to that, I want to say a few things. The judgment of Christ is going to be so complete that nothing will remain in regard to, again, that, that, well, let me back up. There's a, there's, a, there's a thinking out there in and around the church that's called annihilism that just means this, that eventually people who don't know the Lord, they just aren't around anymore. They're just burned up. They disappear. They don't exist. There's not, any, there's not an eternal punishment for all of eternity. Those people just don't exist anymore, and only those who have been redeemed, they will continue to live. And they, and they, they use this verse to try to give credence to what's called annihilism, and they, they, they teach this, and it's not biblical. Um, it's important. When it, when it talks about nothing will remain, not in the sense of disappearing completely, but removed from the scene upon his return. And they will be cast away from him into hell. But the text there says, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Again, That does not mean annihilism, for that's not taught anywhere in the Scripture. The Bible speaks of, hear this, a final resurrection, does it not? And it's a bodily resurrection, and it will be a bodily resurrection for believers and unbelievers. And so if the body is going to be resurrected for both the saved and for those that will eventually be damned, to be separated from God in all of eternity. As the Bible speaks of a final resurrection of the wicked, Jesus does that in John 5, 29 through 30. Resurrection always refers to the body. So the wicked will have a resurrection body, soul, and spirit when they are judged at the great white throne. And there is no scripture that ever speaks of the soul not being in existence. There's just not there. It's not in the Old Testament, and it's not anywhere in the New Testament. So look with me now in Luke 17, verse 20. So being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is. Or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Listen to what Jesus is telling the disciples before his death. You're going to want this day again when you're seeing me teach and heal and walk around Jerusalem. You're going to long for this day. You're going to long for it because what's coming in verse 23 Um, is going to be stronger. Look at 23. And so they will say to you, look there, look here. Do not go out or follow them. 
24, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. First, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So that it, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Verse 31. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods inside the house not come down and take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. And I tell you, in that night, when the thief Jesus comes and returns, in that night, there will be two in one bed, One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One is taken and the other left. And they said, where, Lord? And he said, well, where the corpse is, there the vultures gather. So I need us to hear this today. Again, because it's scriptural and it's what's what's present there. And we've got to, we've got to, we've got to, Deal with the hard text. There's a day of judgment that's coming in the second coming of Jesus that will be a day of heat. Secondly, that day, all those who have rejected Jesus, not a single one of them will escape that judgment. And a lot of people today say, well, you know, I'm waiting until later in my life. You know, younger generation people say that. Then I'm going to kind of come back to the Lord, you know, maybe when I'm married because I want my kids to grow up in church. I don't know why people think this way. I'm stupid. Today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says. And so we need to get it right. Thirdly, this morning, and I just got four points. I'm doing well. When he comes... There is going to be, it's going to be a day of great implications for those of us who are saved. There are some phenomenal things that are going to be our pleasure on the day that Jesus returns. So now God, through Malachi, is making a unique distinction. He's just talked about those who reject Jesus. They are arrogant. They are evildoers. They will be like the chaff. They will be burned up. They will be separated. They will not be in relationship. They're not going to get another chance. They had their chance. There's the opportunity that was there. And now he's going to talk about those who love Jesus. What's going to happen when he returns? And so look at two. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, by the way, that's a reference to Jesus. We'll talk about it in a moment shall rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. 
So now, through Malachi, God's making the distinction from verse 1 to verse 2. Those who didn't know the Lord, and now those who do know the Lord. Making sure that the contrast is clear to everybody about what this looks like. So when you and I fear God in this life... It means we are in a saving relationship and we recognize that we are going to have to give an account to him. Many people know the truth of the Bible and they're just like, yeah, whatever, I'll just deal with God down the road. And the reason they think that goes back to the very beginning of the talk. They think on that day, God's going to grade them on a curve because over the arc of their life, they've been nice. They were nice drivers. They came up to four-way stops and they let everybody go and then they went and, and they did all kinds of nice things. They edged the neighbor's yard and mowed the yard and they, they were kind and they brought, I don't know, whatever. They bought a turkey for somebody and took it and they just, they just did nice things. And it's going to be too late for them because it's not about our words that rescue us. It is about the blood and the body of Jesus that rescues us. And our faith must rest there. So when we fear God, it means we are in awe of him. It means this, I know that I'm going to have to give an account. And so I'm going to live in such a way where I walk in obedience to who he is. So I want to state this, for the true remnant of Jesus, our greatest blessings are in the future. Now, let me say this. I love this life here, except for my third floor walking stairs over and over yesterday, pain today. But that pain where I just want to pop my back constantly is a reminder, too, that he's going to heal that one day, isn't he? All of that's going to be gone away with. And so this life here on this earth is pretty amazing as well. But for, the, but for all of us who are believers in Christ, our greatest blessings are coming. We're going to get to live with King Jesus for all of eternity in a heavenly city in the glory of his presence where there's no need for a, a moon or a sun because the light of the wonder and the glory and the majesty of Jesus is just going to light up this diamond city that we're going to get to live in. For those who don't know the Lord, they just get little moments here. YouTube is one of the worst rabbit trails in the history of life. So about a month ago, I watched people watching someone at a concert. So it's called a reaction video, if you've ever seen those before. And so I watched people, watched Freddie Mercury's performance at, I think it was called Live Aid with Queen on July the 13th, 1985. And so I somehow got onto that and I, there was a spiritual purpose that kind of came into it is I watch people react to that because some people have said, or many people have said, that was the greatest single rock performance ever in the history of rock and roll. And I don't know anything about that, whether that's the case or not, but I know this, that on July the 13th, 1985, is all that Freddie Mercury ever got. A 
That's all he ever got. Because he rejected Jesus. And so he had a moment then, because in six years from that, he was dead from AIDS. He lived opposite of God's plan, rejecting God's plan. And so I want to remind you and I today, the things of this earth are fleeting. Jesus is forever. And if you belong to Jesus, we live forever in his presence. And so let's don't get caught up in the lie that we're ever really going to find anything here that's lasting other than him because he's it. For the Christ follower, from the moment of salvation through all of eternity, all we will know is the joy and the goodness of being one of God's. Listen to this familiar psalm. Blessed is the man who walks, who walks among the wicked. It walks not among the wicked. He doesn't walk among them. Nor does he, here's what happens. Walk among bad people, then you hear them, you kind of like them, then it says they stand, and then eventually you become one of the wicked, and you just sit down with them. That's the sequence of Psalm 1-1. So blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor does he stand in the way of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers, those who are arrogant against God. But here's what he is like. He fears God because his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he can't stop thinking about it in the daytime and at nighttime. So therefore, he becomes like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And everything that he does, he prospers. That doesn't mean that, that, that everything just flourishes. It just means this. He prospers because his trust is in Jesus. Because in this life, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. And so even in the tribulation, a righteous person prospers. Why? Because they're trusting in Jesus. They're getting more and more of who Jesus is. And so Psalm 1 is one of those that we ought to read a lot. So there's a great day of great implications for God's saved people, his people, when he returns. All right, I'm going to quickly go through these. So if you're taking notes, there's four implications that the son of righteousness, when he comes, what do we get? Here's the first one. When the son of righteousness returns, he's going to give full satisfaction to those who have lived in fear and in awe of who he is. So the first part of verse 2, for you who fear my name. This is a promise of satisfaction from God himself made to those who fear his name and love his name. And this is one of the the true marks of the faithful, is there is a great reverence in our lives to the name of Jesus. And we've already seen last week, a couple of weeks ago, in Malachi 3, 13 through 15, God's view of the righteous. We are his, y'all remember the word starts with an S? His segula. We are his precious, prized possession, and we God feels this way. And so those who fear him, they say no to the trinkets of this life. And yeah, they're mocked. Maybe they lose promotions. They lose relationships. But they learn true contentment by trusting. Even in the loss of things and the loss of relationships because of their faith. Because they know this. Jesus is the greater treasure. He's always going to be that. 
So one of the implications of the second coming is he is going to satisfy the longings that we've always had for him. And can you not wait to see him? I can't wait to see him. And when we see him, all of that love that we have had and our fear and the honor of his name is going to bring the greatest satisfaction. Secondly, the son of righteousness, when he rises and he comes, he's going to bring light to what was darkness. Just before Jesus returns, he spoke about what the world was going to be like. And right before he comes, the dark hearts of humanity, it's going to be at at, at the darkest time and the most dark in all of history. Listen to what Jesus says. This is Matthew 24, 21. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being, listen how bad the days ahead are going to be. Jesus says, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those who know Jesus and have come into relationship with him and have been saved by him, those days will be cut short. And when the sun rises and when he comes, it's not going to be like we're about to celebrate three Sundays from now. It's not going to be quiet in Bethlehem. When he comes back, if you've read the scripture, every person on the planet is going to see King Jesus come back. Those who know him and those who do not know him. It's not going to be quiet. It's going to be loud. It's going to be clear. It's going to be definitive. And it will be light. Isaiah wrote about this. 60 verse 19. The sun shall be no more your light by day. Nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your glory. Wow. That's coming for the people of God. See, the main point in all of this is that God will bring the dawn of a new and glorious day for the child of God when Jesus returns. And for those who fear Jehovah and love Jesus will bask in the light of his righteousness. From days that were so dark, we will be immersed in his great glory. In Revelation twenty-two sixteen. Jesus says, I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The morning star appears about an hour before the dawn comes. And so every day, it doesn't matter what part of the world, when the sun begins to come up about an hour before that, the morning star shines bright and it's a reminder That when Jesus comes, the brightness of the glory of who he is will shine brightly and it will be the dawning of a new day. Thirdly, third implication, that the son of righteousness will come. He will bring ultimate healing. So the text says, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings This Greek word is a, or not Greek word, the Hebrew word, I get it right, we're in the Old Testament, 
This Hebrew word is marpe, M-A-R-P-E, and it means health, a cure, healing to the place of restoration. When Christ comes, he will bring ultimate healing to our souls and to our bodies, to the world. He establishes a millennial kingdom. The world begins to renew. And this amazing thing happens and takes place. And so when Christ comes, he will bring ultimate healing. And I long for that day of lasting, permanent healing. How about you? Can you imagine what that's going to be like where there will be complete healing because of the star of the morning has come? We will see him. And in his wings, as he comes and he comes from the sky, his wings will bring healing to our lives. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, when he realized what was going to happen and take place as an old man, that he would, he would give birth to the, or he wouldn't give birth, but he would be part of the giving of the birth. John the Baptist, listen to this in Luke 176, and he said, you and you child shall be called prophet of the most high. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. And because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby, listen to this, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. When Jesus returns... Everything is going to be made over. It's going to be new. It's going to be whole. If you ever travel with me on a trip, um, I do this because my neck has to pop all the time. Because when I was younger, I played this sport called football that cost you when you get to be my age. You're not supposed to fall down and get hit like that and then just expect that it's not going to affect you the rest of your life. But there's going to be a day I don't have to do this anymore. And I'm longing for that day, I'm telling you. When he comes, he will bring the incredible healing that only he can do. So every morning, I want to remind us, with every sunrise, there is a certain reminder of the eternal morning of the brightness of the Son of God when he will leave heaven and return to earth with healing in his wings. Fourthly, the implication for God's people is that the Son of Righteousness brings great joy from sadness. Now, when I was younger growing up in Waco, we had um, family friends of ours that had cattle. And uh, I've seen this in my lifetime of what this is talking about. In the wintertime, in the deep of winter, they lock away the cows in a barn to keep them warm and safe because of the weather. And I don't know if you've ever seen a video. I'm about to show you one in a minute. In the springtime, when they let the cows out of the barn, they're like, no, 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 no. Can we just stay in the barn where it's dark? I want you to watch this video. This This is a picture of what this looks like. They've just gotten out of the barn. That's
That's the point of that verse. And some of us, when we worship, we're just so stoic. You're going to be like that one day. (laughs) Can you not wait for that? Can you taste that? That we've been locked away, trapped away. This word stall there, leaping from the stall. The word stall there means to be tied up and yoked. There's going to come a day when we're free from the bondage of this flesh and we will leap like calves locked away for the winter time. Now on the spring day, it's called the turning day where they turn the cows out and they celebrate. There's going to come a turning day for us and we will leap for joy because we are freed from the curse of the law, freed from the bondage of it, freed from religious tradition, freed from the yoke of sin slavery, and all who are born of God will be free, and we will leap for joy from living in a time of sadness. And what a blessed day my salvation was, and what a blessed day my salvation is, and what a blessed day my salvation will be. When we jump and leap for joy. I want you to. uh, I'm going to stop there. Okay. So next week's going to. Yeah. Next week's going to be faster and longer. I won't stop there. Okay. Do you get it? Let's feel the heaviness of the fate of lost people. And yet let's feel the lightness and the joy that's connected to those who are the people of God. That healing is coming. And eventually we will be vindicated as the victorious ones when those who have mocked God the victorious ones will march on those as if they were ashes and we will be the victorious ones over all the evildoers. And we'll talk about that more next week. All right, let's pray together.